Welcome along. It's the Garden Programme here on Midwest Radio. On this Saturday morning, Pori, good morning to good you. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, listeners. Along. Thank yeah. you very much. Not a bad uh, middle of April morning. No. Things... And this has been not a bad week all, all around. You know, it's nice to see the warmer temperatures coming in and hopefully, uh, I think today is to be the better day. So I think people should make use of today and get out into the garden and catch up on those jobs that have been eluding us or been difficult to get to over the last couple of weeks and there's lots to be done. Okay, so where are we going to start with well, that list? Because we have a list for that. That's what morning. I thought I'd do. I'd just put a kind of a list together of things that people can consider certainly today because the rain is coming in tomorrow. So I suppose right at the start of the list is uh, lawn care and, and as you know we've been getting lots of questions about, about lawns and still I'm I'm stumbling across people that haven't cut the lawns yet so <laughs> I mean, you're not serious. <laughs> no, I, have to hold, I have to hold my hand up Jesus. but it's on the list for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, let me yeah. Down. Yeah, it's just I'll, time poor this I week. Yeah, yeah. And look, at it, the grass has been growing so slowly that people, it hasn't been top of the agenda. But certainly, look, get out there, get it, get the grass trimmed. As I always say, put the grass box on and leave the mower a little bit higher than you would normally. So just kind of top the grass off, collect the grass clippings and dump them on the, the compost heap. But look, at it, it's time to get the moss control if you haven't that done. Uh, get on the zero now and get on the feed as well. And you can do that on the same day and particularly with the rain coming tonight, if you could get those two jobs done, um, it'll really kind of kickstart the, the lawns. And people that have actually treated the lawns over the last couple of weeks will see a, a fantastic greening um, really great, great greening colour coming back into the lawns at the moment. So it is important to treat those. It's also a good time of year actually for sowing lawns. So if people are at the stage where they're repairing maybe lawn areas or they want to kind of sow grass seed into um, a new piece of ground, then if the soil is workable certainly the conditions for sowing with the moisture and with the, the temperatures it's ideal for the sowing of lawn seed in general. Um, a good variety is green velvet. It's hard wearing, it's low growing, it's quite a tough variety to, to use. But also while flower meadows. If you're thinking of our honeybees or our butterflies later on during the summer, this is the time of year in April when we sow the seed of wildflower seeds. So if you're thinking of doing maybe a wildflower area in the garden somewhere. We had a discussion about this during the week actually for a patch uh, not in the garden but kind of uh, across the road. Right. Um, and uh, as opposed to it, it was an area it's a common area that gets mowed but maybe would we put some flowers into it instead? Absolutely and it cuts down on the need to maintain. Well that was the that was the logic <laughs> behind the discussion. But you could also do a nice area maybe with some broadleaf trees uh, particularly light canopy trees like birch would be lovely to plant in that area and underneath that sow the wildflower meadow and then in autumn complement that by planting some spring flowering bulbs so the bulbs are in flower at this time of year the snowdrops the crocuses the uh, daffodils and narcissi and then you've got the wildflowers coming through for June, July, August, September the poppies and cornflowers so it's a great way to use an area and farmers in particular um, are being encouraged to particularly marginal lands to put them under wildflowers because you're actually doing a huge amount of benefit for uh, biodiversity mm. and insects and honeybees and so on and particularly I was talking to the beekeepers last week and they're telling me that um, the bees are under severe stress this year with the very cold winter um, huge losses right across Ireland uh, from, from the beekeeper association I mean I mean, 80% mm. losses of bees it's, it's um, okay that's huge it's been a tough year yeah. for, for them a very tough spring because literally the bees haven't been able to get out they normally start foraging in February and early March the willow has been late this year so they've been just sitting around and, and dying off unfortunately so there's probably a great scarcity of Irish honey 
this coming, coming summer. Yeah, and they're probably a little bit drowsy still, those bees. Would they be coming out of their winter hibernation or is that the way it works? I just, I, I observed something, I know this is a complete aside, during the week where there was a bee out and my next door neighbour's cat was in the garden, which is right. fine. That's not a problem, <laughs> it's a nice cat. Yeah. But the cat saw the bee and it was stalking the bee All and right. the bee came down and in the end, the cat got the and bee. And the bee. Well, there you go. And yeah. probably bumblebee. Probably it, it a bumblebee. Yeah, yeah. I, I could visit, you know, I could see it, and it yeah. was at a distance. Uh, it was interesting to watch uh, nature in action, I suppose. But yeah. uh, I did kind of think, oh, so I thought, oh, the poor bee, you know, he's only, <laughs> he's only out trying to get a little, little bit of something. And, and bumblebees tend to be out that little bit earlier than honeybees. So we, we are actually seeing lots of, of bumblebees out and about. Um, and the willow is in full flower at the moment. So we are going to see the honeybee back coming out. But look, at, we can all do a bit to, to mm. encourage that. And certainly, the, the, the planting what your idea and that project sounds mm. great because it's a perfect you know it, it cuts down on the labour of having to trim and mow that area but also to add in some wildflower seed at this time of year they germinate so quickly and they tend to look after themselves now the area will look you know it'll have that semi-wild look to it yeah uh, that's okay but pu- planting a few <laughs> broadleaf trees anyway, yeah, yeah putting in some wildflower seed but the point I'm making us was that the temperatures and as the soil dries now the sowing of seed out of door that can all commence now um, we control around the garden I noticed in my own garden there's, there's you know bits and pieces beginning to the click weeds are beginning to show themselves lots of the early weeds are beginning to start so look Again, if you've got time today, get out with the garden hoe. I'm a great believer in in the little bit of physical work in the garden. That's not a bit of harm. But there's a great, the, I always tell people that the, the most important item I have in the in the garden tool shed is a, a hoe made by wolf. And it's actually got double blades. It's got a blade on the front and the back. I must have it 12 or 14 years at this stage. And uh, stainless steel, it's still going strong. And, and I always bring it out at this time of year because it, within an hour, you'll have tidied up a lot of the young weeds rather than using pesticides and sprays, mm. a garden hoe. But that's a particularly good uh, functional tool and it has a long handle on it. And it, it, as you as you you spread the, the hoe and pull it back, it actually cuts. Okay, so and, and you probably get a, a reasonable size of an area done. You and you're not... Uh, stretching your back too much or anything like that. There's a very long handle on on that particular. So look for that one. It's a particularly good one. Wolf, it's a um, a germ-med um, garden hoe but look at in general it's the time to kind of take control of weeds. Don't let them become a problem later on in the the, uh, summer. It's the time as well to finish off the planting of potatoes and for many listeners they'll put in the early varieties or certainly they'll, they'll have tried to put the early varieties in. If the soil is workable, certainly try to get potatoes planted over the next week to 10 days. Um, we have up till generally about the first or second week of May to plant potatoes but they're sprouting very strongly at the moment. But I thought I'd just feature a couple of main crop varieties yep. and a few that are a little bit different. I was actually looking through the seeds um, that we have at the moment and there's some unusual new varieties that I thought were a little bit different. There's one called Manota, it's spelled M-A-N-I-T-O it's a lovely red skinned variety. If you like rooster potatoes or satanta potatoes, this is quite a nice new variety. Very high yielding it's got red skin very similar to um, to rooster, bright yellow flesh but it makes the best and smoothest mashed potato. Oh. Right. What's it? Fantastic flavour. Ma- Man- Manota. Manota is the, it's an unusual variety. You know, it's, it's a hard one to remember. Manota, red skinned, it's a main crop variety, very high yielding, yellow flesh, um, stores very well through the winter. It's eel, ro- eel worm resistant as well. So it's resistant from soil pests, uh, particularly eel worm. And uh, it's a particularly good one. Another nice one is called Performer. If you like a, a yellow skinned potato, fantastic for chipping. 
um, or roasting or if you like that floury potato so it's a yellow skin variety pale yellow flesh it's one called performer um, again it's a relatively new variety it has won awards for being the best new variety recently in, in the UK and um, very high yielding so that's one called performer Valor is another quite nice one if you like white potato tubers it's blight resistant um, so again very little spraying particularly for listeners that like to grow with their potatoes organically Valor is one to look for as well as Satanta both excellent and Blue Danube is a lovely one as well um, one of my girls in Turlock Leone mm-hmm. she grows the Blue Danube for the last five or six years and she has converted so many people over to that variety because of her passion for it Blue Danube is purple it's, a, it's, it's like, purple it's purple in colour outside is it purple inside? No well it, it, there's a, there's a slight colouring yeah, yeah. Light, slight colouring in it but when you cook it that that tends to dissipate slightly. Uh, but it, in terms of f- being a flowery potato, it's absolutely fantastic. It's, it's, it's better than Curse Pink or any of the traditional flowery potatoes. It's kind of on the, st- the level of Golden Wonder, a very flowery, large variety. So Blue Danube, it's, it's a really nice one. Um, one to plant at this time of year. And um, you're well tested here in the west of Ireland. Um, Leone grows it every year for us. Nadine, if you like the salad potatoes, that's a good one to grow. If you like the kind of waxy potatoes, mm-hmm. Nadine, fantastic for potato wedges, but it's a good, um, it's a good uh, salad variety. And um, the last one is one called Kestrel. And we, we, we often talk about the Cara potato, which was bred here in Ireland. Cara is the parent of Kestrel. And Kestrel has unusual that it's a creamy flesh variety with purple little blotches in it. It's right. a very attractive variety mm-hmm. to, to look at. Um, it's got a very sweet flavour with kestrel. Again, a main crop variety and good for mashing, boiling, for the general purpose, um, chipping as well. So they're on varieties that we don't normally feature okay. on the programme and they're ones to look a- out for. So Minota, Performer, Valor, Nadine, Kestrel and Blue Danube are all excellent varieties. But I suppose the point I'm making is now is the time to get the potatoes, if you can at all, if the ground conditions are will allow you. To get them into the soil now. Remember, potatoes can be grown, say, with children in patio pots or in raised beds or in anything at all that will hold a little bit of compost. Yeah, um, so that's something to get done now. Excellent. Everlasting sweet pea. This is the time to plant sweet pea in general in the garden because it's a hardy annual. It can go straight out into the garden soil. Now, remember, when you're buying the plants, they're only the traditional sweet pea is only maybe five or six inches high, and it has to grow to six feet to flower. So put in plenty of organic matter when you're planting them. Plant them in a bright, sunny location. But the variety, the everlasting sweet pea, is available at the moment. And that's the variety that comes back year after year. So it's Latreus latifolius. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Isn't it? Yes. Latreus latifolius. So pink pearl is the variety and that comes back year after year. Latifolius means broad-leaved. It's a broad-leaved sweet pea. So the leaves are quite large on it. But it's a variety that grows within the one year up to six feet. Lovely pink flowers right throughout the summer from June to September but the, the key thing with the perennial variety is that it comes back year after year so it's a lovely old cottage garden plant plant it now put it on a little bit of trellis and it'll scramble up through it Excellent. the planting of fruit as well so strawberries rubies, blueberries rhubarb all of the typical uh, fruiting plants this is the time to plant them in the garden so um, get your, your fruiting plants in the garden now and the summer flowering bulbs so if you want a bit of kind of cut flowers for the summer things like the dahlias the gladioli again they can be planted out of doors at this time of year calla lilies all of those begonias start them off indoors with, with a view to planting them out in May if you want something for the kids yes 
Well, then, I mentioned last week that and we got a great reaction to planting the dwarf apple tree, the family apple tree. Yes. So we- that's the variety. We've got two different apples on the one tree. And I, I mentioned planting that in a pot surrounded by strawberries. And that's a lovely, it'll take you 30 minutes to do with the kids, but you'll have a lifetime of memories from it and plenty of fruit. And the, the family cornet apples will actually fruit this year, as will the strawberries. But other things you can do with the children, the sowing of sunflower seed. Yes. Um, and if you want a really tall, the biggest variety is one called Russian Giant. So it produces eight foot, nine foot tall stems of sunflowers with really big heads of flower. And of course, the sunflowers are great because the seed is large. So if the, you get the children to plant it indoors now in a yogurt tin or a margarine tin or any little pot, put it on the windowsill, cover it with cling film for about a week or 10 days. As soon as your seed starts to germinate, put it on the windowsill, let them see it growing and then plant it out of doors in May in a bright, sunny spot. The nice thing about sunflowers is that uh, obviously there's fantastic flower and colour and, and they literally grow before your eyes. I mean, they grow so fast. Yeah. But then in the autumn, they produce their seed and that's fantastic for, for the, the wild birds, birds as well. So there's a great, again, going back to that biodiversity theme and lovely to get the children involved. But also the growing of pumpkins, they should be sown indoors at this time okay, of year. I know, so I know it seems like a long way away to Halloween. It sure but does. They don't just magic overnight. They don't. So they have to be sown and, and sow them indoors. Pumpkins, anything in the pumpkin family, the squash family, are sown from seed at this time of year. Again, kids get a great kick out of that. And you plant them out in May and they produce their their pumpkins from about late August, September, and then they start to ripen for the Halloween period. But also get them to grow as maybe some sweet sweet uh, tomatoes, sweet aperitif is a lovely variety, sweet 100, Gardener's Delight, any of those variety. Herbs, I thought, would be nice for children as well because you get the scent, even when they're planting the herbs in window boxes. That's true. You get a fantastic scent on their fingers and they'll smell that and, and all that going on. And many of the herbs are great for bees as well. They particularly like them. The likes of varieties like thyme and oregano are fantastic for, for bees. Lavender, all of those are important. And the last plant I want to feature is one called the lemon-scented geranium. So this is a variety called orange fizz. Um, fantastic scented foliage. The plant looks nothing when you buy it. I mean, it's only a ball of, of green leaves. Green, yeah. But as soon as you touch it, and any time I introduce the plant to anybody, you get that, oh, isn't that fantastic? Because the scent is very, very strong lemon citrusy smell. The leaves are edible, so you can use them in ice cubes or you can use them in sorbets or ice cream or you can use them in salads Salad. or soups or whatever to, to get that citrusy flavour. But they're also particularly good for warding off flies, blue flies, uh, black flies, any sort of flies in the home. So because the plant is full of citronella, it releases a natural lemon, particularly as the, the, the weather starts to warm up. So plant it on a, on, in a pot on a bright windowsill where the sun is streaming in, when the sun does shine, and it gives a fantastic and scent. And you can touch the plant as well, and that excretes the scent as well. But a really good plant, easy to grow. It's in the geranium family, but it's called scented, uh, lemon-scented lemon geranium. It's a variety called orange fizz. There are other varieties of scented geraniums, but this one is particularly intense and uh, very, very easy to grow. Lovely in gin and tonic as well. Okay. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Sold. There you go. So they're the type of things, dear, to the people. Look at it, it's kind of catching up on... on um, on things that maybe have been left and neglected for the last week or two due to the, the poor weather. But it's really getting out there and getting a, a kickstart, the sowing of seed, the planting of the bulbs and the potatoes, getting con- on top of the weeds and getting the lawn trimmed up and tidied and 
Lost yeah. control. And I, I know the forecast is that temperatures are going to come up quite a bit between now and next weekend, yeah. I understand, or at least that's we'll what they're talking of, about. Of rain and heat. heat. So, so, from so that, that will really see a growth spurt. You, absolutely. And I, w- I was in Dublin th- this week uh, and coming through Houston Station, um, the cherries were in full flower. Mm. They were absolutely spectacular. Um, I mean, full bloom. Um, so on the east coast, they're that little tad ahead of us. Yeah, there's kind of, of a week or two, aren't they? They are. They're always yeah. that week or two ahead. But it was lovely to see them. I mean, it was a real sign of spring coming out uh, from the station and and an absolute sea of um, flowering flowering uh, cherries. And look, a great time to plant them at this time of year as well. Okay, great stuff. Okay, Porik, let's take a look at some of the questions that Absolutely. are into us. Okay, we'll we'll start off not well part of a question, but uh, starting off with a part partly good news as well. Somebody who had treated their lawn for moss a couple of weeks back, a number okay. of weeks back, you were out with them. Uh, so oh, Christi- just, yeah. yeah, Christine's just sent so in a Christine Brett has sent us in actually on, on WhatsApp. She sent us a fab- fabulous picture uh, this morning. Remember a couple of weeks back, I said well, I was on with Tommy, and we decided to pick three. Mm. Three of our listeners, we asked for their help to try out those that had very bad moss in the lawn to try out the Zero and the Osmos. So Christina has actually sent me in a picture this morning um, to say that it's uh, never been as green, the lawn, and was wondering what fertiliser I actually used on the lawn. So it was the Osmo. Um, we put the zero on first and then the Osmo. But it's lovely to see the pictures. That must be, that was St. Patrick's Day, actually. Yeah, okay. So that puts a time frame on. March. Okay, so we're talking really a month ago. A month ago. Yeah. And and it does take, the, the Osmo is a slow-release fertiliser. So you, the greening, the, the zero works overnight, so it kills the moss overnight. But the Osmo then feeds over a three-month period. But it, it does take that two or three-week period to actually see the, the results of it. But, but obviously, she's delighted with it. So that's great. It's lovely to hear. Lovely. Obviously, the yeah. picture. It is actually. nice, yeah. It, it, is, yeah. it is nice to see the results. Um, just staying with that Osmo for a second, Joe is in Tume and he's just emailed in to say he intends to put the Osmo out on the lawn today. How long should he leave it before he cuts the grass? Well, the good news is the rain is coming tonight. <laughs> So the Osmo will actually be washed in overnight, Joe. So you could actually cut the lawn on Monday or Tuesday if if we get uh, a dry spell. So within a day or two, you'll actually see what happens when you put the Osmo out. It absorbs moisture and it tends to plump up like a small pellet. So you actually see it visibly. So you'll actually know when it's washed yes. properly mm-hmm. into this. So it generally takes a day or two. But if we get a bit of heavy rain tonight and tomorrow, by Monday morning, well Tuesday then. morning, you can get out with your lawnmower and start trimming away. Lovely. And, and that is important. The trimming of the grass, um, I'm, I'm cutting my own lawns now roughly about every five days, even though you're only taking a small amount off them. If you cut them regularly, it helps to thicken them out. So do, you know, after feeding every seven to ten or seven, five to seven, maybe ten days, do keep the lawn trimmed. Don't don't let it get long because the more you trim it, the thicker it gets, the greener it'll be and, and the easier it will be to maintain long term. Okay, and um, for somebody, Cathy has put a zero on lawn, uh, lawns on the 23rd of March. Uh, it's black, but the moss is still there. Will she spray it again? No, well, if, if the moss has gone brown, then it's dead. And what you'll actually find is once you feed it, the, the grass grass will actually appear up through the moss. So leave the moss well enough alone. So if, if the zero has worked, which it should have at this stage, the 23rd of March, um, then just feed the lawn the grass will come through it and it'll be perfectly fine. If there are any spots that you miss, and sometimes you can miss when you're spraying yeah. on the zero, obviously they're going to remain green and they can be retreated again straight away. You can do it within the following day or within a couple of days. So any spots you miss that remain green, yes, 
treat them again. Uh, but anything that's gone brown, the grass will actually come up through that once you feed it. Okay. So it's a combination. It's a three. It's a it's a three step really where you put on the zero, kill the moss, feed the lawn, and leave it then. Like Christine, uh, Christina's lawn, it's a month on now. Now is the time actually to put on the weed killer to control any broadleaf weeds because they're, you've made them soft. Exactly. The grass is nice and green and. And that's really the final step. Okay. I have a white patch in the lawn. Like if something burned it, I don't know what happened. Uh, what can I do with it? Well, I suppose. Well, just reseed it. If it's only a small area, I would just dig it up, just remove that um, uh, patch of, of uh, damaged grass. There are certain diseases like red thread that can damage or fusarium patch that can damage lawns as well. Um, female dogs, if they're if you get urine on the on the grass it'll burn them as well so literally just dig out that square put in a bit of fresh topsoil and put on some seed as I said at the top of the programme it'll germinate within 7 to 10 days and by June you won't even notice the patch Right we're going to move on from lawns right. let's talk about carrots Okay <laughs> My query the other way. is in relation to carrots last year I put down carrots while they were gr- and while they grew good around the carrots was a little black line like where the carrots have grown and stopped and started growing again. Is this a pest? I could never see any insects uh, yeah. or pests around the area. Well, brown mar- or that blacking marking, mm. particularly if it's ringed around the, the actual carrot, which it sounds like, is a result of carrot root fly. So once the carrot root fly comes on to the actual... Um, so what happens basically in the summer, the carrot root fly is laid at the base of the plants, generally in late April, early May, June sort of period. It can happen in Chem right up to September. Uh, but it starts at the end of April, early May. And the maggots basically drill into the, the walls of the developing carrot and leave this brown staining, particularly in a kind of circular pattern around the, the edge of the carrot. So... You know, rather than using a, a pesticide, you can actually use one of um, the, the resistant carrots. So there's a variety called Resistifly. It's made. It's done by Suttons. Okay. It's well named. Well named. And yeah. it's a variety that that carrot root flies finds difficult to to to, to um, lay the eggs around the base. And with. are carrot root flies that just uh, are they in certain areas more susceptible to them, or is there anything that uh, makes things more susceptible to carrot root no, flies? No, the, the the way they the, it's, so it's a small fly. Mm-hmm. It comes in on the scent of the carrot. So when people are thinning the carrots, in particular, they're excreting a scent into the air. The the fly hones in on that and basically finds the plant and lays the eggs at the base, base with. So one of the ways to stop that is to put a fleece. You can get a very fine fleece and put it over the actual plant and that acts as a physical barrier to stop the carrots getting, or the carrot root fly getting mm. into the carrots. Um, but also sowing the resistant varieties like Resistifly. Um, there's another one called um, Majesto, which again, it's an F1 variety, Majesto. It's in the Sutton's range as well from memory. And again, it's carrot root fly resistant as well. So there are varieties that are specially bred. Basically, they've got less carrot smell in them. So the, the, the fly finds it very difficult to find them. So that's the way they work. So they've been bred specifically because of the scent. And now they still produce beautiful carrots, full-size carrots. So you can use the physical barrier. Um, garlic sprays actually work as well as you can get the garlic barrier spray, which is made from and, the liquid of and garlic. And that, that kind of masks the it does, smell, and it, is that and, it? and the carrot root fly dislikes it as well. So you can use that treatment as well. So rather than using pesticides, use a physical barrier, use something organic like the garlic liquid, or use a particular resistant varieties like Majesto or the um, Resistifly are two good ones um, to try. Okay, brilliant. Um, now... And generally the early varieties, there are early, like early Nantes is another good early carrot variety that tends to They're resist because by the time the fly lays the eggs and they hatch out and they start to do damage, it's generally on the main crop carrot varieties that are 
damaged. Okay, excellent. Um, but this is the time of year to start sowing them. The carrots are actually the seed can be, if it's cold weather like we've been having through April, mm. they don't germinate very well. And my trick when sowing carrots is when you open the drill, get some regular potting compost, ordinary potting compost, board pneumonia, whatever. Put that in, fill that into the drill and then sow the seeds into that and just cover them over. And they seem to germinate far easier in the compost, first of all, before they penetrate into the, into the, into the itself. soil itself. Yeah, just as a little tip for people. But we need good temperatures well, uh, in excess of 10 degrees. So, you know, 12 to 15 degrees is ideal for carrot seed. So hang tight for another Hang tight. And if you often week. you find that you might have sown the seed and it hasn't germinated, it's generally weather related where okay, you get cold snap you know cold and, and warm temperatures just um, stop the germination now I've been planting potatoes for a good few years but last year got a lot of scabs on them okay. uh, any suggestions asks Mark and Swinford well I would go like first of all scab isn't a damaging it's, it's damaging from a, a visual an aesthetic point of view in terms of the it's on the outer part of the skin and generally varieties like curse pinks are a devil for for scab but the the, the plants themselves or the tubers are totally edible. So remember, it's only a surface uh, dis- disfiguration on the plant. Uh, generally, if you have high lime in the soil, it tends to favour the spread of uh, scab. But there are varieties that are resistant to scab. One very common one, and it's a very easy, very popular potato called the King Edward, which is a real old variety, but scab finds it difficult to do any damage to poor old King Edward. So that's a variety that you can plant at this time of year. Um, Kestrel, the one I mentioned at the top mm. of the room, is also resistant to scab, as is the Nadine, the salad potato. So okay. go into your local garden centre and ask for some scab-resistant varieties. King Edward, for me, is probably the best. It's a very good, high-yielding variety, very old variety. And a lovely potato, but also Nadine and Kestrel, you'll find blight resistant as well. Now, do you know of an organic safe sticker adjuvant that I can add to my... Yes, it is. I have to be honest, I had to look up what adjuvant meant, but there you go. Uh, My word of the day today. Anyway, more importantly, can can you add it to organic fungicide spray I I use on my fruit trees? Please don't say washing up liquid as it's only okay in weed killers. (laughs) Well, an adjuvant or a sticker, what, the, the reason we use those, we often mix them with weed killers and with general sprays. And what they effectively do, as the name suggests, it helps to stick or spread the treatment onto the leaf. And with some of the adjuvants, they'll actually break down the kind of green leaf uh, section and allow the treatment into the leaf, particularly for systemic sprays. Uh, washing up liquid is always the traditional one for the weed killers. But any liquid soap, if you use a liquid soap, um, you'll find those very effective as well. Anything that acts as a sticker. And is it something where just the, the viscosity is a little bit thicker so that it's whole, it's being held on the leaf? It spreads literally across the leaf. So when you put on a liquid um, soap, it literally just, like it, like it does in your hand, mm. how it spreads across your hand. A bit of it slime. Does, it, exactly. Yeah. It's like a, it creates that slimy coating and it helps to stick whatever uh, fungicide or insecticide or weed killer. It helps to spread that more evenly across the layer of the surface. So particularly in agricultural agricultural, um, where they're using a lot of sprays, they'll put in an adjuvant or a, or a sticker to help just with the spreading of the actual... Um, so or really the only thing that I could recommend is some liquid soap rather than the, the washing up liquid itself. Okay, but it's all, it, it's all in a similar it is, family, yeah, if you like. Yeah, they generally tend to be soap or soap-based. Okay. 
that it, that, that, that works yeah. the best. Uh, now, quick question about bees. I live beside a large area of open bog, ideal for bees. What would it uh, cost me to get a hive started? Is there a rough? Oh, Sorry, that's a bit of a long question. Yeah, yeah. and off the top of my head, I, 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 what I would suggest is look at this. Lots of great local beekeeping clubs in Westport, in Claremorris, in Ballyhonis, right across Mayo. So, contact one of your local beekeeping clubs. I would get a guesstimate. Um, you know, if you're to buy a hive, it, you're probably looking at a, a hundred euros, maybe a hundred and fifty euros, and probably to buy the bees, then maybe another hundred euros type of thing. I suppose sometimes but, it's best if you say you have your budget yourself and see what's possible within yeah, that. Budget. You might be able to get a second-hand hive and so yeah. on, but. Um, Contact your local beekeeping clubs because they're absolutely fantastic and, and they're putting on lots of courses, particularly the Westport uh, beekeepers are putting on a, a course for beginners very, very soon. So that's worth contacting them. Um, but contact your local bee. Again, Ballina, lots of there's lots of great clubs around with lots of good advice. So they'll advise you what to do. Now, can you recommend some vegetables that we can plant at this time of the year? Oh yeah, well look at this lots, all all the vegetables really, um, so the vegetable plants are available at the moment, things like all the lettuce varieties, anything in the salad family, so the uh, onions, onion sets, onion shallots are all available, uh, things like kale, the green kale and the black kale you can plant at this time of year, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, uh, spinach, beetroot, carrots... <laughs> It's, tomatoes it's a fairly if, long list. If you've got a greenhouse, so we're right bang in the time of year. Most most of your vegetable plants, apart from things like tomatoes and melons, cucumbers, are frost hardy. They can be planted out of doors. So even if you get a bit of poor weather, they'll still be perfectly fine. Um, so really, the trick really is to plant little and often. So don't be tempted to plant a whole load of stuff tomorrow because you'll end up with a whole load of stuff ready for harvesting in six weeks time mm. so plant little and often on a regular basis i do recommend planting vegetable plants and seed at the same time so that you're and every every two to three weeks if you're planting a small amount of veg then you'll have regular pickings right through to the end of the season and um, so there's lots of great vegetable plants available and all the bulbs like garlic shallots sets they're all ready for planting now at this time of year now um wild garlic we're kind of fans of it on the program Ransoms, but yeah. mary has some and she says it's everywhere she's wondering how might she get rid of it well remember that the plant is totally edible all parts of it are edible the flowers the foliage it makes fantastic pesto and you'll see lots of the restaurants promoting wild garlic at this time of year um the trouble with it is it does spread mm. it spreads by the underground uh, stems and bulbs and also by seed um, and it can be a bit like bluebells I mean it's uh, it can spread a bit you can either dig it out um, and it's shallow rooted or you can use a herbicide um, so something like Weed Free 360 if you use that on it it will kill it off um, ideally you apply it about the first or second week of May when there's plenty of foliage on the plants and that'll get rid of it um, but remember it's an edible plant and it's yeah, some, it's, some it's people, lots of people would like to have it, perhaps. But yeah. I, I suppose if, it, if it's, if it's, if it's it, a fair amount of it, like we can understand. Yeah, and and you don't need a lot of it as well to make. You know, you you crop the young leaves, so you know you get a bucket full of leaves off a very small amount of plants. So it's um. But that's what it is, the ransom. But you can use a, a, a herbicide if you want. Now, forest flame, it has yellow flowers. Will it go red, asks Margaret. Well, the flowers should be white, Margaret, <laughs> or pink, depending on the variety. If it's forest flame, if it's uh, Pierre's forest flame, the flowers are kind of a... In bud, in bud there, there can be kind of a, yeah, there could be a yellowish, whitish colour, and then they open to pure white. Um, so the flowers come on the plant first, yep. and then the red leaves. So it's not the flowers that are red, it's actually the leaves. Leaves. that produce so as it produces new growth it produces
gorgeous, that lovely scarlet red turning to orange, turning to pink. Um, so the flowers, the flowers are actually on the plant at the moment and they're, they're a picture this year. Um, so what I would do with Forest Flame in general at this time of year is enjoy the flowers, feed it at this time of year. So put on a little bit of Osmo Pro 6 or a tree and shrub fertilizer around the base, base of it or an ericaceous feed. And that will encourage new growth. It'll green up the leaves lovely and it'll encourage new growth. And you in that new growth, then you get the lovely scarlet red leaves of Forest Flame. Um, and a great time to plant them. And there's so many other, there's another lovely variety called Katsuru, which has got brilliant red leaves. But the reason I like that one is that the colour stays longer on the plant. It'll often hold its colour into July. The other trick with Forest Flame is <clears throat> once they go out of once the leaf goes to that kind of pinkish colour mm. around the middle of June, if you trim it back, taking six or eight inches off the plant, refeed it, it'll actually produce a second show of colour because you've basically pruned the plant, you've taken off the young growth, so the plant responds by actually producing new growth. So that's a way of extending the colour as well. So feed it now, enjoy the colour, and then in June give it a light, light trimming back, feed it again, and you get a second show of colour. And maybe plant a couple of the varieties like Katsuru, which are lovely at the moment. And it'll be a nice mix. Right, there's a couple of questions in relation to uh, moss on trees, asks Breege in Roscommon, and also then a spray to use to clean growth on a slate roof. Okay, so let's deal with that yeah. first of all, because there's lots of lots of moss and green growth on slates and tiles and walls and so on. And the, the treatment to use in that is, is very simple. Is one called pack. So you it's a liquid, you mix it in water, you spray it on. It takes about seven days to work. A dry day, ideally, to put it on and uh, make sure that the pack doesn't get on your lawn or any other area. It's specifically for hard surface areas. Okay, great. And the trees, the moss on the trees? Uh, well, if, if you've got moss and trees, you can actually use the zero on that. It won't damage the trees. Now, remember, the, the moss isn't parasitic and I often think it looks... Quite attractive cool. like quite it, cool yeah yeah, yeah. but um, if you want to get rid of moss on on, tr- on this, the, the bark of trees or whatever then use the zero the same as we use in the lawn it's quite safe to use on trees shrubs that type of thing okay great um, now can I put what can I put on a newly sown grisolinia it's a bare root hedge poor egg and it seems to be dying right well if it's dying hmm <clears throat> But first of all, to see why it's dying. I mean, you know, it, it uh, did the did the plants dry out before they were put in? There's some reason that's actually affecting them. In terms of feeding them, you put on the tree and shrub feed and Osmo feed will green them up. I would top them back as well. Take about six or eight inches off the top of the Grisolinia mm. hedge when you plant it. Um, but th- that's the risk you take with bare root plants. If they get any exposure to the wind or to, to if the roots are and left exposed. I mean, conditions have been fairly cold for, for uh, yeah, them, but they, or should it they? It should still take you know, unless the ground is excessively wet where they've been planted, that could also affect them as well. But look at top them back, take six or eight inches off the top of even the off the overall height, even though they're young plants, mm. that's very important to get them to fill at the base. And that should be done with all bare root hedging plants when you're putting them in. And uh, feed them now with a with, uh, with the Osmo tree and shrub feed and that'll green them up and, and push on any new growth. Again if the listener wants to take a picture of them um, I'll be in the garden centre actually after the show so from half 11 onwards right through to five today I'll be in Turlock Castle Bar if people want to bring in a picture it's been great because the last couple of weeks they've been people have been bringing in their phones with pictures of issues and problems and you and know it's, and it's great to be able to get to see be able to the see them for me rather than a listener trying to describe it yeah. we can look at it visually so if anybody wants to drop in from half 11 today till five I'll be in the Turlock Centre and bring in 
Bring in not bring, all your problems, but bring, bring, bring in your bring gardening, your gardening problems. problems. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll stay with the gardening problems for now, Porek. Is there any feed for Ponsettia? Ah, lovely, isn't it? Is it so it's obviously doing well. It's so doing it's now well. in its fourth month or whatever. It is. And now, yeah. this is the time of year actually to, to repot it and to trim it back. Give it a bit of a trim, a bit of a pruning as well. And it'll kick into growth and it'll produce lots of green growth, of course. Liquid feeding it, you can use um, any liquid feeder. Tomato feed would be fine. Baby Bio would be fine for um, poinsettia. Feed it about every three weeks and remember to keep it indoors in a bright location, maybe on a windowsill, in a patio, a porch, somewhere like that uh, at this time of year. And it'll make a ball of green foliage. The trick is to get it back to red again (laughs) next autumn, next Christmas. But uh, yeah, well worth a go. Now, do I kill off grass before planting wildflower seed? Well, if there's grass and, and weeds there, you bet you are better to treat the area and get rid of that because that's only, only going to, A, stop the seed getting down onto the soil mm-hmm. itself. So you're better off with clean soil. Um, so yes, and if you want to use something that's relatively safe, you can use the Weed Free 360 because it won't contaminate the soil. So you can spray that on the next dry day. It'll take about seven to ten days to work. You can just till up the soil then, lightly rake it up. A good idea is to put a bit of lime actually into where you're sowing wildflower seeds because it puts them, when they germinate, it puts them under a little bit of stress and that's Mm. actually what you want. You don't want them growing too vigorously. So a little bit of lime, you can get a bit of garden lime, add that to the soil before sowing the seed. And But yes, you are better to start with a nice clean soil if possible. Excellent. Uh, Where would I, or how do you get rid of field grass? Well, field grass or wild meadow grass is blown in from, um, you know, grassland areas around your lawn and it can be a bit of a a problem in lawns. The trouble is it is a grass it tends to be more vigorous than your lawn grass and it tends to kind of smother the grass that's there. It's difficult, there's no weed killer that you can use that's going to just kill it and not damage your lawn so you either live with it or what you can do is with a lawn rake is kind of rake it up into the air and let the lawnmower give it a good tight trimming back or else dab it you can get the Roundup gel which is Roundup effectively in a, in a gel format. And you can dab that onto the, the, the wild meadow grass area um, in the lawn and that'll help to kill it off. So that's probably the best way to treat it. So just literally dab the actual the, the, the grass the, the itself. The offending bits. Yeah, now you might damage a little bit of the lawn with doing that, but, but um, you can reseed once the wild meadow grass has died away. Now, does an Acer palmatum need ericaceous soil if it's kept in a pot? Well, it certainly likes... Um, what we mean by ericaceous soil is acidy-based soil. So it's particularly for rhododendrons and azaleas. Now, the the acers tolerate more lime in the soil than we actually give them credit for. So they're actually quite easy to grow. But if you have the option of using an ericaceous compost when planting up the container, then I would use that. You'll get a richer colour in the leaf. So acer palmatum comes in a whole load of different varieties. They're the Japanese maple and many are grown for the lovely purple foliage. And on acid soils, that tends to be more intense, mm. a, a far darker colour. So I would use that as an option, ericaceous compost. Now, I would advise the listener to mix some topsoil, either their own garden topsoil or buy some topsoil as well and mix it through the ericaceous compost, put in a slow-release feed and then reuse that mixture in the pot. So don't just use all ericaceous compost on its own because it tends to be all peat, uh, just ordinary peat with fertiliser added. So you're better to mix some of your own garden soil with it. But a beautiful plant, Japanese maple, and perfect for a pot. That's the plant that the in Japan they use to bonsai. You know, oh. 
okay. and they hand them from generation to generation. So the plant lives for hundreds of years. But the Japanese maple is one of those plants that are favoured by by uh, bonsai enthusiasts. So bonsai are the little <clears throat> miniature trees. Yeah, it's where you it's where you take a, a you could take an oak or an ash or a Japanese maple and you train it by putting wires. You you plant it in a very shallow dish first of all, so you keep the roots quite uh, tightly compacted into a shallow tray. And basically, it's the miniaturization of plants. So a, a tree that would normally grow thirty feet high, it only grows a foot high in a bonsai tree in a bonsai tray, and it's trimmed and pruned and shaped. Particularly in Japan, it's an art, and it's handed. I from always thought family. that they were a particular kind, no, like they no, were a variety of no. uh, bonsai. You know, bonsai trees were just a particular kind of plant, as such. Not no. that it was it's every an plant. That's it's an, an art, art form. form. That's what it is, and you can use pines, you can use rhododendrons. They use hundreds of different types of plants to create a bonsai tree or bonsai plant but you're looking at a plant that might be only a foot now some of them are a little bit taller maybe eight inches yeah but they're not much no and and they're in very very shallow trays and it's an art form of pruning the roots and pruning this we probably wouldn't have the patience Uh, well (laughs) to be honest but But so you could have an oak bonsai could you you can have a low you can have a pine tree you can have a japanese maple you can have a cherry tree you can have whatever it doesn't matter you can bonsai most garden plants but it's a, it literally in Japan they hand it from generation to so you would take the the trees that your father grew and and bring those on so they'd have them for hundreds of years the same plant fantastic Can you imagine the responsibility <laughs> <laughs> Three generations have, later. Yeah, I mean, they do take the, a yeah. they do take a lot of care. I mean, you know, because okay. they're in such shallow trays and regular pruning, regular feeding, regular cutting back, all that kind of thing. And but they're beautiful. And they can I think if you're purchasing one, they can be expensive enough, but that would explain yeah. why. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it depends which one. But uh, yeah. Never so, knew that. <clears throat> why do we get on? Yeah, but with Sorry, the Japanese, uh, the yeah, Japanese, Japanese Acer, maple. Yeah, but the, it's a lovely plant Acer in a pot. Palmatum. Acer palmatum. Don't get me wrong. They're actually very easy to grow in the garden and they're easy to grow in pots as well. Um, more difficult if you're going to be bonsai. Yeah, yeah. That's only if you're bonsai. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's um, move on to apple and pear trees, Porek, and somebody wondering about the best food to put on to promote be- flowering or for better fruit. Okay, well, they should be coming into flower very shortly now. The flower buds, you'll actually see them on the apple trees at the moment. The buds are kind of fat, round little buds at the moment, just bursting to get to get flowering. The feed I would use would be something like um, a high potash feed. Uh, so rose fertiliser is good. Uh, for for flowering and fruiting trees, um, but anything with a high potash, even sulphur of potash on its own, could be put around the base of them now. But uh, so a good rose fertilizer would be ideal. Shake that round to the base of them, and uh, they'll be coming into flower very shortly. Okay, great. Now, um, somebody wondering about peat moss that would be suitable for azalea shrubs. Is there? Well, are we are on? Don't the, are get don't get a bag of peat moss. Get a bag of ericaceous compost. So ericaceous compost literally is the ideal one. Uh, obviously the listener wants to either repot them or they're planting them in the ground or whatever. Using pure peat moss on its own, there's no nutrition in it, there's no fertiliser in it. So get yourself a, a bag of ericaceous compost. It's specifically for rhododendrons, camellias, azaleas, all of those plants that love our our ericaceous soil. And you can actually get a feed as well, which is an ericaceous feed for all of those plants because they're going to be coming 
into flour now very shortly. Okay. Now, I always use raised beds to grow right. my vegetables and add compost every year. Right. Is it better to completely get rid of all last year's old compost and start afresh every year? No, what you can do, obviously the, the raised beds are probably getting quite full now with by adding compost on every year. Naturally enough, you're bringing the levels up. So what I would do is take off maybe six to eight inches of the top layer of compost and replace only that. And through that compost, mix some slow-release fertiliser through it. So again, you could use the, the Osmo Pro 6 is very good. Um, I actually use that a lot for both vegetables, but also in things like hanging baths as well, because it's a very slow release fertilizer. So just take off the top six to eight inches. You can use that compost then around your shrubs in the garden or filling up the, the base of pots, for example. So reuse that, that compost, but put in a fresh layer of compost and through that, add some slow release fertilizer and just rake it in and plant your vegetables and they'll be perfectly happy. So there's no, and the same applies if you're, say you're doing up uh, pots in the garden. If there's compost right at the bottom of it that hasn't really been full of roots, that's perfectly fine. You don't need to dump everything out and restart again. So I often use old compost, say, in the bottom of pots mm. from repotting plants or even in the bottom of baskets, just as a, just an initial air, as a yeah. bit of a filler. Yeah. Yeah, because, and just add some fertiliser through that and, you you know, it's as... It's perfect. Okay, and so then the fresh layer of compost right on the top. So it doesn't have to be all from scratch. It doesn't have to be all dumped, not at all. No, no. Now, is it too late to sow early varieties? I presume we were talking about potatoes there. No, no, you can still, if you haven't got around, look, most people haven't because the soil has been so wet. So all the popular early varieties like Colleen and Orla and Duke of York, still they can still be planted now and they'll still, they'll still come early for you. So get them out into the garden soil. Look, once you get the soil workable, remember what I always say, you can plant potatoes until the ash is in full leaf. And that's normally well into the middle of May. Uh, but look, at, I would still encourage people, if they can and the soil conditions are right, get your spuds in the ground. Excellent. Now, I noticed there's a couple of questions in, Borg, on pruning apple trees. Yeah. Uh, well, when, I suppose. Well, if you question. haven't done, ideally this should be pruned during the winter season. Now, if you haven't done that, obviously this hasn't been done, you can shorten any leggy growth. So apples tend to produce leggy growth from during last summer, maybe two feet high, three feet high in the air. They tend not to have any flower buds on them. So by pruning those back, you're not actually taking away any flower buds. So you're safe to kind of take back apple trees by a foot, eight inches, up to two feet, the top growth, and shorten that back and kind of tidy them up. If there's any uh, indication of canker or any disease on the trees, prune those branches out as well. So you can kind of tidy up the apple tree. But do bear in mind that the little fruiting spurs are beginning to flower now. And you'll notice those because they're, they're quite fat. Yeah. Uh, compared to growth buds. So make sure you don't prune any of those off. But you're quite safe to take a foot, 18 inches off the plant. And as I always say, when you prune, you feed at the same time. So get on a layer of fertiliser as well and that'll boost them into growth. Okay. Get rid of any weeds that might be at the base of them. And when they do come into leaf, it's a good idea to put on a little bit of a fungicide as well just to stop any... Uh, diseases later on in the season. Okay, great stuff. Um, we're going to leave it there. Before we go, though, just uh, you, I know we've an awful lot of information covered, uh, particularly in relation to lawns, moss, etc. Um, and you have a blog in in relation to that. I have. If people actually go on to my the Horkins.ie uh, website, there's a section, a tab called Porik's blog, and if you go onto that, I've actually written an article and created a video, actually a video of my own garden 
on treating the lawn for moss. So it's, I've set out the, what you need to do. So step one, two, three. So go on to my website, horkins.ie, go on to the blog page and you'll see an article on lawn care, the three-step process, and it explains exactly what to do. And we'll show you an example in my own lawn of, of me actually using the, the treatment and, and how it works. And I'm going to get a couple of the pictures of the... Um, of the people that we actually yeah. did the lawns for because I actually I think I have Christine's uh, picture of a car before I do okay. somewhere on my phone <laughs> and we get that picture and we put that up as well on Monday morning and people can see the difference and um, remember I'm in the garden centre today in Turlock and Castlebar around half 11 I'll be there through till 5 so if people want to pop in I'll be Close to the restaurant somewhere. Okay. <laughs> well, it'll be well deserved, I think, in yeah. fairness. Uh, and also, the programme is available. Uh, we do podcast it after. Uh, it airs each Saturday morning, so you'll get that online as well. Uh, that's our lot for this morning. Thanks indeed to Porrick for all of the advice and to you for listening as well and your great questions. We're back again next Saturday, just after, well, I'll be back just after seven on gardening again from nine. Stand by Michael Neary coming your way next year on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning with country classics and local news also on the way. For the moment, a very good morning to you.